Welcome back to the Relax My Dog podcast. My name is Claire. And my name's Leah. And we are from Relax My Dog. We talk about all things dog. one is that bad bad dog breath is completely normal now i definitely wouldn't say that this is a myth because i feel like have a dog having bad breath isn't necessarily a normal thing that mm-hmm. uh, but a uh, bad dog breath which is a mouthful in itself and um, mm-hmm. it's so common that most people think that it's something dog parents live with the truth is that your dog's breath really shouldn't be that bad um, and you should be brushing your dog's teeth more than you think now your dog will never have minty fresh breath obviously they're eating um, lots of different food, they're playing with toys that have probably been laying around or been outside, mm-hmm. etc. So they're just not going to be um, smelling the best, but it shouldn't be unbearable either. Bad breath is an indicator of an underlying health issue. Specifically, chronic bad breath is caused by bacteria in the mouth and is often the first sign of a dental disease. In fact, um, the biggest culprit of bad dog breath is uh, periodontal disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm disease which affects um, up to 80% of dogs by age three in addition to tooth loss abscesses and periodontal disease Mm -hmm. um, poor oral hygiene it can lead to life-threatening conditions including kidney liver and heart damage as well so bad breath is not something to sleep on it's definitely something if you're noticing with your dog obviously it's it's a thin line between it being bad breath and then Mm -hmm. for it to be chronic bad breath it has to be like, like you can smell the dog mm-hmm. when it's in the room because of its breath. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely something if you're noticing that or, oh, your breath really smells, then you need to take it somewhere and, and get it checked out because you don't want it to uh, to be one of the potential um, deadly diseases. No, no. Um, I said it can, it can lead to really bad things, but it can also be indicative of really bad things. So, you know, if it's out of the blue, your dog's breath is starting to smell really bad, it could actually be a sign of something else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you're noticing that you know, your dog's breath is like a sewer, just get them to sit by the face. It's the easiest and best thing to do, really. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the next is um, a warm and dry nose means your dog is sick. Uh, now, this is probably one of those repeated dog myths out there about dog illness symptoms and implies that a, he- a healthy dog's nose is always cold and wet. Warm and dry noses are completely normal, though, so don't worry if this is the usual state of your dog's snout. Everything from dry air and allergies um, to simply taking a nap can affect the wetness of your dog's nose. However, while nose, he- nose health isn't normally concerning, if you notice your pet's nose is constantly dry, cracking or running, not simply wet, then you should make an appointment with your vet. Um, I think it's like anything really. If you live somewhere that's like quite dry um, and that kind of thing, like you might live, I don't know, somewhere in a desert or something, <laughs> um, your dog's nose is likely to get more and more dry. And especially like um, in like summer months um, when it is hotter and it is dry, your dog's nose is probably going to be more dry Um anyway just like sort of standardly but yeah if you, if it's cracking running or it looks like it's really sore obviously get them seen by a bit yeah it's even like our lips like when it gets summertime yeah. you might notice that your, your lips could become quite dry and you need to be applying like lip balm or whatever for your lips mm-hmm. and it might be similar situation to that with with a dog as well 
yeah I basically like just always carry Vaseline and lip balm around in the summer because I hate getting like I know no one likes having dry lips but I just absolutely hate the feeling of dry lips so I'm like constantly putting putting lip balm on <laughs> and you feel really ill as well when you have dry lips don't you like it just affects your whole mood I think so it does yeah glad it's not just me it, like ruins my day <laughs> I know I've got I've got lip balm everywhere in every coat pocket in, in my car in every bag like there's there's just lip balm everywhere I'm so glad it's not just me <laughs> uh, now the next one is to always spay and neuter at young age now spaying and neutering dogs at young age was happening at an alarming rate several years ago and many vets took the stance of the younger the better and um, the idea is that um, early neutering or spaying will curb behavioral issues as the pet gets older but it might actually be a mistake um, dog owners are making. Uh, numerous studies have shown that uh, this is very untrue and waiting to neuter your dog may be safer in the long run. Um, there are also added health benefits to allowing your dog to keep their reproductive organs intact until uh, into adulthood. Uh, the community is responding to this new data and more vets and owners are waiting six months to one year to spay mm-hmm. or neuter your pups. I think it is one of those things that it, um, I think I've read things about this before mm-hmm. and just waiting that little bit longer just yeah. enables your dog to, to develop a little bit more. And obviously you mm-hmm. want a your dog to be fully developed, like behavioural, everything like that. I yeah. think a lot of people are just saying that obviously if a dog's not been, spayed or neutered they can become quite aggressive but mm-hmm. I think that's when they get like they get a lot older like if you wait really yeah. really long whereas I don't think it's necessarily right to do it when the dog's like pretty much out of the womb do you know what I mean when they're really, yeah. really young uh, but waiting just a little bit longer I think that's that's the right play to do really I think so yeah I mean I know that um here like at Relaxing Dog we are very pro like spay and neuter, spay and neuter your animals just because um you know, there's such a big uh, problem with stray animals, unwanted animals. And there's also things I think we've done a podcast about um, the benefits of spaying and neutering is that, you know, there's yeah. certain health problems that I mean, certain, certain cancers that you're, you're going to be um, removing. But I don't think you're putting your dog at risk if you are going to wait just a little bit longer, because I, th- I think they say for dogs, isn't it like six, no, eight weeks, something like that? No, don't don't listen to me I'm completely wrong I don't know what it is right on top of my head um what I think it's, it is when they are like really really young um mm. almost when they're able to come home sort of leave the mother I think that's when a lot yeah. of people years ago when it was the whole younger the better I think they were literally saying like first better appointment the, the querying it they're like well I want to get mm-hmm. booked in for this whereas yeah I think waiting six months to a year that's like the the best play to do it yeah, and I think you're right. It's sort of let, let, letting them grow up and actually grow up properly into their bodies, like rather than making massive changes when they're still growing. Yeah. Um, you can almost you can almost identify that as being might come up with problems because I know that um, with females, female dogs and female cats as well. Sometimes when you get them neutered and they're a bit younger, um, you can you can sort of leave like traces um of like the uterus and stuff which can still cause your cat and your dog to go into heat um I, that's just something I've heard I don't don't take that as gospel from me that was just I did a little bit of reading about it a while ago and that, that came up so yeah I don't really think there's like you said there's not much damage that can be done that will by letting your dog just grow up a little bit more before you do that because it's only a matter of months or weeks that you're that you're letting them grow up a little bit more it's not like years and years and years where they could get into the habit of going into heat and get the, and pick up those really bad behaviors or those really disruptive behaviors before you take all of it away <laughs> like you know what i mean yeah exactly mm-hmm. 
Okay, the next is to use dog treats to bribe your pets. Um, sure, they taste good and your dog might beg for them, but the best dog treats aren't, um, aren't just a way to bribe your pets into following your orders. The best dog trainers view treats as rewards, not bribes. Um, treats are a really great way to show your dog that their consistent good behavior or listening is going to be positively enforced with a reward. Um, when we're training dogs' behaviors, you want to consider when um, we are giving them their treats. If you're giving them treats before a bad behavior happens, that would be considered a bribe. However, if they do something good, like dropping something they shouldn't be chewing on or coming when they're called, you should definitely be digging into that treat jar for a job well done because dogs just, um, they respond to positive reinforcement. And it's like anything, like it's not just like dogs and animals, it's like children as well. Like, you know, if you reward good behavior, it just instills in them, keep doing the good behavior kind of thing, <laughs> you know. Um Treats are an excellent training tool for young dogs. Combine it with other training methods and you'll have an all-star pup in no time. It's just, it just makes sense, doesn't it? Positive reinforcement is definitely better than uh, any sort of alternative. Yeah, exactly. It's all about praise as well. Like I know that when I was teaching, like this was obviously years ago, I had a treat jar and mm. I wouldn't to say anything to the kids at all. And this, I was in year three, so the kids were what, like oh, seven no. <laughs> and I wouldn't need to say anything. I'd just I'd say they were talking and I needed them to be quiet. I'd just get the treat jar out of my drawer, put it on the top, and all the kids would stop talking. <laughs> it was like a magic <laughs> jar. Like they all just wanted like this praise and this toy and this treat. And it's it's the same with dogs. Like dogs will do anything for, for a treat that they love. And it's the same with mm-hmm. kids. Which is <laughs> really. honestly, yeah, the teachers loved it. They were like, Miss, can I borrow your uh your treat jar and I was like yeah if you need your class is quiet you borrow it that's absolutely fine that's absolutely wonderful (laughs) (laughs) and the next one is that a dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's now this is one of the most common dog myths vets encounter if a dog's saliva was antibacterial or was as antibacterial as the myth states they'd be um walking medical superheroes (laughs) dogs are superheroes in their own right but this is one dog myth that we've got to put to rest now while dog survivor has a slightly more alkaline ph uh, which can discourage some bacteria from reproducing it's not truly antibacterial in fact as a vet one of the most common causes of canine infections we see is from a dog licking a wound or itching spots too much Mm -hmm. and i think it's when people say that um like, I think there's like a myth out there that they can lick a wound, a wound, yeah. and like kind of and a person, and it can help to heal. I think I've read stories about that before, uh, but I don't know what is happening there for, <laughs> for that. Happen. Especially you think about what your dog like has in the mouth. They have all that food. They'll be licking things that you don't want them to lick, and then lick your face. And I yeah. just that is not not nice. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean dogs are great and stuff but I wouldn't want them licking an open wound like that's gross like no. <laughs> you wouldn't let no. a person do that would you <laughs> I've seen a dog in a hospital like trying to <laughs> fix miracles with its saliva you a paging Dr Milo <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's so funny um okay so dog- next one is dogs evolved from wolves and should eat like them um dogs and wolves may come from the same lineage um uh, in fact wolf um wolf dog breeds and can make great additions to your family actually I did a I think I did a relax my dog short on wolf dogs because I didn't actually know that, that that was a thing until I started reading up on it so there are wolf dog breeds um, out there that can be absolutely fantastic um 
but treating them as an interchangeable species is not ideal. It can even impact their health. Um, dogs evolved from wolves more than 11,000 years ago. And over that evolution, they've become two entirely different creatures. Um, dogs should not eat the wild wolf type diet that's becoming popular by boutique pet food manufacturers. So what should your dog eat? Um, well, there, we have actually done a podcast episode early on about um, how proper ways to feed your dog. So I'll link that in the show notes below. You guys can go and check that out. Um, but you should really be feeding your dog based on their breed, their age, their size, um, what kind of activities they do, whether they're a bit more sedate, a bit more um, a bit more energetic, if they're a working dog. Basically, every dog is a little bit different. So you yeah, either talk to your vets or you just sort of, you know, take it if, if you have, if, you know, if you've always had collie dogs, you know, feed it like a, a collie dog, you know, that kind of thing. So don't, yeah. don't um, I think it's like wolves need to have like raw meat, excuse me several times a week whereas I think like normal dogs quote-unquote normal dogs you know if they're having raw flesh shouldn't eat that amount because it's it's just not it's not quite as advantageous to them so yeah you need to make sure as well that your dog's obviously getting all the nutrients like Mm -hmm. there's so many different things within dogs dog food um like that has all the nutrients that your dog needs so you sort of ticking all the boxes whereas obviously if you're giving them raw food they need to be able to get in these other nutrients from somewhere. Yeah. And I think I've seen a lot of people on like TikTok and things where they're showing like how they prepare their dog's food. Mm-hmm. They're following like a raw food diet. And it is a lot like, yeah, to get all the nutrients that they need. It is yeah. a lot that they have to be putting into that. So yeah, um, it's, oh. it's important to know, know all the facts and know exactly what you need to be feeding your dog. Yeah, like there's lots of supplements that they need to do and lots of things they need to add, which, you know, if that works for your dog, that's absolutely fantastic. And if you've got the time and the money to be able to feed your dog a raw food diet, um, I think we've, again, we've done a podcast about um, raw feeding versus not raw feeding. Um, and it's all, it was very, very interesting, like all the nutritional facts and stuff. But um, if you're going to be raw feeding your dog, you've got to do it right. Otherwise, it's going to be detriment to their health. So, yeah, the best if you if you're not if you don't have that knowledge all the time or the money, just you know stick to what your dog likes and and uh, what what is needed for them yeah definitely uh, now the next one is that it's important to show your dominance now known as the alpha wolf theory um it's become a popular training method after wolves were first studied in captivity however with time we've learned that dominance isn't necessarily the best approach um later studies of wild wolves wolves showed that packs are just families with older wolves caring for and teaching the younger ones until they're old enough to leave. Um, modern, modern dog trainers use behavioural principles to look, to look at antecedents um, and consequences of behaviour, um, managing the environment, meeting dogs' needs for social time, enrichment and exercise, and teaching dogs uh, what we want them to do rather than solely punishing them uh, when they misbehave and I think that is like me and Claire said earlier mm. positive reinforcement is always the way when it comes to training your dog um anything other than that mm. just isn't, isn't the right way to to go about it you, I do understand the um managing to tick all the boxes like making sure that they're able to meet dogs um needs for social time enrichment exercise and everything like that that is so so important mm. um rather than going down the method yeah absolutely um that's just that I think that's really a well-believed um, myth actually about showing dominance because I remember when I had a dog I mean this was like 15 years ago when I've had a dog it's been a really long time 
Um, and it's something that my, my dad believed um, that he needed to show dominance over the dog so that he's like the alpha male, blah, 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 blah. Um, so even as as um, recent as, you know, that that um, that time, people believed that kind of thing. And it's uh, it's not really not, not really necessary, really. <laughs> no, no. So there are some of the some dog facts in quotes um, that aren't facts and are actually myths. Um, some of them are really wildly no, wildly believed ones and hopefully Leah and I have actually debunked a few of them for you. Um, so this is going to be a two-parter. So this episode is actually is the second part of last week's episode. Um, we just had so much to go through that we didn't want to cut any of it out. Um, so it's a part one, part two. Last week's one was the first part. So um, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this. Uh, thank you for um joining us and we'll see you in our next episode bye bye